I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is with Seth Waugh. Seth is the CEO of the PGA and, uh, you know, an interesting guy. He's had a lot of life experience. He obviously was in banking before he became the CEO of the PGA. And I was really excited to talk to him, mostly because of his involvement in recent golf developments, uh, whether it be PGA Frisco, which will be a high-profile opening, or... Another one that hasn't gotten as much buzz as PGA Frisco that I'm probably more excited about. Uh, it's called The Park. It is a He has been the lead investor in a group of investors uh, that have revitalized the former West Palm Beach Municipal Course. So they, they operate as a private-public partnership, and they have uh, renovated the golf course. Gil Hans renovated the golf course, and it is opening in April. So it will be a really exciting new public golf course in an area that's got a lot of public golf, but not a lot of good public golf, uh, West Palm Beach. So we talk about that as well a little bit at the end about Liv and, uh, and the PGA and his thoughts on Liv. So without further ado, here is Seth Waugh. So I, something while I was getting ready for this that I... I I chuckled about and thought about a person in your position. I have to know, like, how often is it a daily occurrence that you have to explain to somebody that the PGA of America and the PGA Tour <laughs> are different organizations? Uh, it used to be hourly. It's now down to daily. Um, and, uh, you know, I, half my friends think I've got Jay's job, right? And, um, and it, uh, at certain times, that's convenient. Like, you know, I don't necessarily correct him. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times you'll just get people going like, oh, geez, were you in Hawaii over the weekend? And I go, well, no, that was uh, that's the other guys. But it, you know, it um, it is confusing. And you certainly wouldn't set up golf, you know, the ecosystem the way that it's set up if you were starting today. Right. Um, and it's a lot of initials and a lot of confusion. I, I think the good news is we're, you know, when I first got in the room, um, the uh, I think everybody sort of viewed each other as competitors, and and it was sort of you know how you know whatever. And I was in one of the first meetings and was talking about the rules changes, and and Jay kind of you know I was at the players, and he sort of goes, "Hey, uh, I know we're all competitors here, but we got to come together on this." And I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, you're you're my partner. You're not my competitor. Like I I borrow your players like once or twice a year, and and LPGA you know once a year." And, um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're the board of directors of the game and like we are, you know, of golf Inc. And we've got to think about the game first um, rather than, you know, our own individual kind of swimming lanes. Right. And the interesting thing about the PGA is that we, you know, everybody's kind of got their lane. We sort of have the whole pool, right. Because we've got, we've got, you know, at the highest level, obviously we've got the Ryder cup, we've got the PGA championship, we've got KPMG women's PGA. Uh, and then, 
you know, we've got 28,000. So we're the largest, you know, sports organization on earth. And we've got the boots on the ground and sort of the army to activate things. Um, so we touch the game, you know, your first shot, your last shot from the junior level to veterans to, you know, every, everything in between. Right. And so, you know, I feel like we should have the most informed voice and hopefully the most balanced voice in the game because we touch it at every level. Right. Yeah, you, your your comment about if you were setting things up like from scratch, how golf would be so much different. You think about all the sports leagues and and the idea that like the golf calendar is kind of like it's got you know the PGA Tour running most of the events, but then yeah. you've got four other organizations parachuting in and running an event a year that yeah. are the biggest ones of the year. Yeah. So it's kind of it's a wild setup and absolutely wouldn't be the way you'd set it up if you wanted to start from scratch. It makes no sense. And, you, you know, you have, you know, they, and the PJ Tour doesn't control the rules, right? Um, and, um, and by the way, you have an international rule body and a domestic rule body. Like, why, how does that make sense? Now, they cooperate um, and it makes sense. But if this was a, you know, if golf was a company, it would have been rolled up a long time ago, right? Because of the, uh, the inefficiencies. And, it's okay. Like, uh, I think there's checks and balances. There's pluses and minuses to it. I, I think we are, you know, and Jay did an amazing job of COVID, in COVID of, of balancing that and, and realizing how important the majors were to the ecosystem, right? And, and he made sure to carve out dates um, so that we all could have our week, um, you know, at considerable cost to them because that meant they couldn't hold one that week, right? Um, you know, and so it's, um, you know, the good news about it all is, uh, you know, for whatever reason, probably because I'm just old, but, uh, you know, I've, I've known all these folks for a long time. I, you know, Jay was my tournament director at, at Deutsche Bank Championship back in the day and, um, and has been a great friend for, you know, 25 years. And then you've got, um, you know, Martin Slumbers, who I worked with at, at uh, Deutsche Bank for a dozen or so years and known Fred Ridley since, you know, the 90s and, um, and gotten to know Mike better in, in the last, you know, f five years or so, but, um, you know, knew Mike Davis. Well, it's a, you know, golf, as you know, um, becomes a pretty small world, uh, in a, you know, hopefully in a healthy way. That's the thing. When do you, when you're starting out, it feels really big, but then the more you get into it, you realize how small it is. And, uh, it's, if you could take us back, I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, the months preceding that PGA at Hardy Park and, and really, the I mean, I feel like you guys kind of, obviously, nobody knew really what the right thing what to do was. And that was, you know, the tour started a couple weeks before that. But having a major, obviously, you know, diminished the major championship being in the city at a public golf course um, by not having fans. But getting it out there was, I think, a big step in, in kind of, you know, the overall, you know, countries getting, you know, kind of pushing forward in during COVID, which was like, nobody knew really what to do. And, and you guys kind of made a bold decision there. Yeah, well, thank you. And and I think, you know, uh, to end where or start where you ended, it, you know, it ended up being perhaps our most important event we've ever done uh, in a lot of ways in, in an ironic way, despite the fact that there weren't fans, because I think it was, you know, the first thing since the Super Bowl that actually kind of mattered, um, you know, and and in the sports world, I mean, obviously a lot of things in the world had happened. Um, and I'll take you back a little bit because, you know, look, as I said before, I, you know, my job like every day is to 
to grow the game and to serve our members, right? Like, and so that's what I'm, we're thinking about it all the time. Um, and then once a year, we're the center of the golf universe because we have, you know, a PGA championship and a Ryder Cup year and the women's game for another year, seniors for another, another, excuse me, another week and seniors for a week and, and, and a lot of stuff in between that's cool. But, um, you know, when it first hit, you know, our first, first thing is, okay, how do you sort of protect your people, right? And, and we were very quick to, like, go remote. And when we pulled the plug, we weren't sure whether we could operate because we'd never done anything like it before. And actually, you know, that all worked um, extremely well. Um, and, you know, it was actually like a great cultural moment because we, everybody sort of rallied around a common enemy to a certain degree. And then the second thing was, okay, how do we get everybody to the other side of this thing? Like, like, you know, we got professionals that are out there, you know, they're, they're like they've gone to zero revenue. Right. And, and how do you, you know, how do you sort of re, you know, sort of get them back in business? So we, we uh, created an emergency relief fund and um, donated personally and, you know, as from our reserve funds and then raised some money around it charitably uh, for the golf industry. And it was, it was our pros, but it was also caddies and, um, you know, people that were working in the industry, those in most desperate need, you know, could apply and we, we'd grant them money. Right. Um, and then, you know, we started thinking about, okay, you know, what do we do about the game, day to day game? And, and I was sitting around, you know, sort of in my bedroom um, a few weeks into it. And I sort of said, you know what, at its core, like I have five kids, right? So it, it was reality TV, you know, all of a sudden they're all home and, um, and we're trying to figure out activities, right? And, and I said, you know, that golf course that's sitting over there is 200 acres of empty land. Like what could be safer than, you know, carrying my own bag, you know, walking around that 200 acres. And, and I said, well, if you could apply that to kind of what's going on societally, it was sort of like, you know, what can we do to help, right? Like, what, how do we be part of the solution here? And, um, and I, we had uh, a, you know, a uh, health uh, expert who used to work in the Clinton White House who, who I sort of wasn't a golfer, but I said, like, am I crazy here? Or is this like a reasonable idea? And he goes, no, I think you, you're on to something. Let me get you to Fauci. So talk to Fauci and he's, you know, not a golfer, but he said like, boy, nobody's thinking about that way. Like that makes sense. And he said, let me get you to the, you know, CDC folks. And so we got there thinking like there's this huge bureaucracy we're going to bump into. And they were like, wow, no other sport has approached us. Like that's a really cool idea. And so we said, well, why don't we phase it in the same way that the CDC is like, you know, phase one is, you know, don't, talk to anybody, don't see anybody, don't touch a flag, you know, carry your own bag um, and, you know, 20 minute intervals or whatever it was. And then, you know, we'll phase it in and eventually you'll have carts and, you know, and halfway houses and all the stuff that, you know, we're used to. And so um, that was what we called back to golf. And that's kind of how golf got reopened. Right. And then, you know, Jay, to his credit um, and, you know, faded in and obviously ended up being an amazing um, you know, boom for the game because people, all the weaknesses or the, the perceived weaknesses of the game became strengths, right? Like yeah. you're out alone and you don't really touch people and, and you're only with a couple other people and, you know, whatever, right? And, and it takes a long time, long, long time away from home that you spend yeah, all right. those hours in. Perfect, right? <laughs> and that's what the CDC is like, you know, this is exactly what we need. We need, you know, we need some therapy for people, right? And, and a reason to get out of the house. And so, it um that's all great and then jay like to his credit in may you know everybody's hiding under their their you know their beds and he's like you know we're gonna play next month 
And, you know, I don't know about everybody else, but I said, well, that's awesome. But like, it sounds a little crazy, but like, yeah, I'm for you. Like, let's do it. And his credit, he did, right? A couple of weeks later than he, than, uh, he started. And and then as he started, you know, so we were the first game on television, right? Which also helped the boom in, in my view. And it was the first, it was the only game that wasn't weird. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? In the, the sense that everybody else was trying to pretend there were fans there. They were creating, you know, those weird like masks put up on you know in stadiums and like creating fake cheers and and even tennis was weird um because they kind of advertised that there weren't fans whereas golf was almost cooler that's what i always say i think that like golf as a tv product would be best with no fans because you could do so much more with cameras and stuff well and you can see the golf course like i remember watching you know wingfoot right in in the open watch much of harding park because i was there but like Watching Wingfoot like was beautiful because I know that golf course and it wasn't like you're looking at grandstands behind you were looking at trees and and Tillinghast greens and like you know it was cool right mm-hmm. and um, so you know back to like how we pulled it off um, you know Jay uh, offered it and I said we're it we're gonna we're gonna do it and you know it's not gonna be you know particularly economic for us but um, but because we were already into our build. Um, we stopped all that, obviously, and, you know, decided to do it, at which point you got to get approval, right? So we're talking about California. And so in the city of San Francisco, which, you know, was pretty COVID freaked out, right? Um, I don't mean wrongly. I just mean, you know, that it was, um, you know, every place had a little different perspective on it. And theirs was, was very anti-COVID and crowds. So I started talking to the mayor and the mayor sort of said, um, you know, I think we want to do this um, and uh, talked to one of her administrators a lot. And, and, and then, you know, I said, well, what about the governor? And she said, well, I'm not sure. So I got to Governor Newsom and kind of said the same thing. And at one point in sort of June, I said, look, it's, it's go or no go time. And um, I'm happy to jump off this bridge, but I, you know, you need to jump off with me. Right. And you, you know, if something awful happens, like, yeah, we could cancel it, but like, you know, it has to be, you know, it can't be just because you've changed your mind that day, right? And yeah. and to their credit, they they wanted to do it. And so, you know, we held the first, you know, again, sports, you know, I don't mean the tour events aren't, you know, significant, but like the first thing that handed out a, you know, big trophy and, and that, you know, was meaningful. And it was eerie, uh, very strange and super cool. Like it was just... Um, you know, I remember walking around the fairways and you'd be like talking to Ty, Tiger, Rory and, and JT were paired and they're like, you know, coming over to say, Hey, how you doing? Like, you know, <laughs> in the middle of the you're walking down the, the fairway. And then obviously we had incredible drama. Kerry Hake did his, you know, his magic trick of turning every golf course in the planet, um, on the back nine on Sunday into Augusta. Right. And, <laughs> and we had seven people tied for the lead with, you know, three or four holes to go. And then Colin you know, pulled off that incredible shot on, um, you know, on 16 and, and, you know, it ended up being an amazing, amazing championship, but it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of belief, um, a lot of trust, uh, an awful lot of, you know, conversations with health experts and, and trying to figure out how to do it. And, and then again, you know, the cooperation of the city and the state was, was absolutely necessary they, they were in charge right of, of their their places and if they didn't want us we weren't going you know while we're here i i'm 
you know, we're a few years removed from the PGA's move to May. And I guess, you know, looking back on it now with a little bit more, uh, you know, perspective and a little bit more time, what do you think have been the biggest advantages of your move to May? And and then also the, uh, you know, if, have there been any drawbacks, any things you regret about the decision? Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, the answer is that it's been great for us, right? Um, I think it's a better cadence for the, for the whole sport. You know, you kind of have, and I know that the guys get tired, right? Cause it's one after the other, but, but, you know, um, it's kind of what they wanted. And now they're, you know, if, if they had a regret, it may be that it's, it's too much ice cream, you know, it'd be, it'd be hard, hard if you just had to please tour players, so you'd be moving yeah. the goalposts a lot. <laughs> Yes, that's, that's fair. I'm going to let you say that, and I'll just nod my head. Um, the, uh, but you know, I think it's a great cadence for the fan. I think it it probably is for the player uh, players as well, except for the exhaustion factor. Um, you know, we end the major season, and then you know the tour can have its great you know sort of climax to their Fed- the season, and then the FedEx Cup, and then you you know, you actually kind of end, right? And then you have Ryder Cup or President's Cup. And and so I, I think it, you know, it creates much more of a season sort of from, you know, January to September, which I think is very healthy. Um, I think having them one month apart, you know, makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I think it's great for the, the game and, and the ecosystem. And, and I, it's been great for uh, PJ of America in the sense that, um, you know, if you think about, again, what we do, we are, you know, we're about, the game and uh and now we play in may as the beginning of a lot of you know seasons right like certainly the northeast but you know um you know it's the end in some of the you know florida perhaps but it's beginning of a large part of the country and so it's a great time to talk about what we do and and what our professionals do every every uh every day and i think you know following on the excitement of the beginning of the season and then and then Augusta and then us um, and we have the same broadcast partners in CBS and, and ESPN which is there's some elegance to that right in, in terms of you know that team kind of has their window and then and the other folks kind of take over I think it's generally allowed more courses to be in the rota than less um, uh, and that's good you know we, we obviously had you know commitments ahead of time we had Beth Page was the first year and, and the weather, thankfully, the beginning of the week was a disaster, but it turned out to be good at the, uh, uh, you know, at, during the tournament. Last year at Southern Hills, we had four seasons in three days. Um, and that was, was awesome cool. Tournament. Yeah. And so much better than August in Tulsa, um, you know, which is, um, a, you know, kind of a death march um, in, in just because of the weather. You know, and this year we've got Oak Hill, which is an amazing golf course, um, and obviously in Rochester. So, you know, this is the last one on our schedule. We're gulping a little bit about, you know, what the weather's going to be like. The good news is we did – somebody sent me a, a tweet last year that um, the, it was warmer in Rochester on, on the, the Saturday than it was in Tulsa. Um, so, hopefully we'll be all right. We're not worried about course conditions. You can dial that in. We're not, you know – where you need a little growth and get the roof to pop, but you know, it's an amazing place and it'll be amazing. Um, but look, we play an outdoor sport and maybe it's going to be a little rough up there. It could be, you know, you get weather and some of the most memorable majors are the ones where you <laughs> have the crazy weather. Like I'll never forget Absolutely. when they had to call the open cause of wind and, you know, 
I think Brooks yep. Kepka was was berating an official. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like he it yields these like uh, you know memorable moments when it's just crazy weather. Obviously, you know Tiger lost a major because he got the wrong side of the draw at an open, yep. and that could add some intrigue. But you know, obviously May in Rochester is not ideal. Yeah, we'll see. And and the, so if I had a regret, it would be you know the courses that we can't go to, right? Um, and and that's always going to be the case, right? But I, I do remember Rory talking to him. It was the practice rounds at Beth Page, and it was pouring rain, and it was like forty five and sideways. And I and I look at him and say like, oh man, I hope we get lucky. And he looks at me and goes, you know what? This is still better than August in in you know on Long Island. And and I think that's you know hopefully that's the way they all think about it. Um, with, with venues, you, you alluded to like, there's venues that you guys can't go to now, but I'm just in general curious about the, your vision and rationale for selecting venues as an organization. And, you know, what do you guys kind of look for and want out of a venue? Yeah. And I, I, I'll say this with one caveat is that we were pretty committed. We were very committed out for a long time. So, um, you know, other than changing a date to Southern Hills. Um, I, I, <laughs> we haven't, we haven't done a lot um, since I've been here because uh, we're so committed out. And I, I've actually set some rules around not going too far out because I, I think it's irresponsible to, um, to you know, the world can change so much, right. That, you know, I don't think we need to be, you know, when, when we made the decision to, to move to Southern Hills, we had, I think it was 35 courses called us and would do it within 14 months. Right. And so, you know, we have the ability to, to deliver things fairly quickly and you don't need to be a decade out, right. You can be whatever. So anyway, with that caveat, um, we want to take it around, you know, we're the PGA of America. So we want to take it around the country as best we can. We have 41 sections and every one of them would love to, you know, sort of host, um, a ma- you know, our major at some point. And so we definitely want to bring it around the country. We want, um, obviously great golf courses, um, we want cities that embrace the game and, and get behind it um, with a fan base and, and, and uh, everything else um, about it. You know, as I said, our secret, not so secret weapon is, is Kerry Haig. And I think he could turn a parking lot into, you know, great theater. Um, and, but, but we're looking for, and I don't want to say classic courses because that's too, you know, uh, road. I, I think they're, you know, I think there's plenty of modern golf courses that are that are also, you know, wonderful tests, and um, and so that that's for sure. You know, we we kind of you know uh, we go to clubs and we go to public courses, but you know we're we're golf for everybody, and so um, we definitely like having a healthy mix of of you know public access golf courses as part of what we do um, because we think that speaks to kind of who we are. You know, and and a again a town and a membership and a and a city government that's going to embrace us, right, and and make it welcome us uh, rather than you know make it hard to do business, right, and um, and that's you know we realize you know and I, I realized this at, I didn't realize you know when when I was kind of running Deutsche Bank and then you know just decided to do our championship. You think about like the the four dividends that you're kind of creating, right? As for Deutsche Bank, it was how do I get an IRR on you know our investment in this golf tournament, and it was you know client entertainment, and that was the pro am, and and then you know showing and 
And, you know, branding is obviously an important part of it. And then, and then the economic value of it um, was hugely important. And, you know, the governor used to thank us every year for bringing, you know, 70 to $75 million in, in you know, commerce and revenues that came in that wouldn't have existed. And so you want the cities to understand that and be a part of that. Um, and also the charitable dollars that are created. Right. Um, and so you, you want, and, and Southern Hills, cause it's fresh in my mind and we've had, we have great venues and they're all sort of equally enthusiastic, but, you know, Southern Hills had 14 months to switch from, you know, uh, 2029 to 2022. And, and they pulled off, they just, the whole place got behind it in an enormous way. And you, you know, if you were wearing a PGA, you know, logo walking around that week, people were hugging you because you, you brought this thing to town. Right. Um, and so Rochester is going to be the same way. They're, they're dying for this thing. In a way, it's those mid market cities probably are almost, you know, that have an advantage in that sense. Like I hear, I still hear horror stories today about, you know, the the city of Chicago with the Olympia Fields at the U.S. Open years ago. And, you know, it's like, you know, when you think about big cities, you know, it's a smaller deal than a major championship coming to Tulsa or Rochester or Kiwa Island even. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. It's like in the big cities, you're a traffic jam, right? And and in, uh, in Tulsa, you're you're it. Um, and, you know, without picking on anybody, the, the mid-major you know mid major cities tend to be uh, the most excited about it the most grateful and frankly the most profitable because they they make it easier um, the costs tend to be lower and um, and the, the you know the local uh, you know corporations and people get behind it in an extraordinary way mm-hmm. uh, particularly true in the and by the way in the, the LPGA um, that's particularly true as well yeah, I always think about that Solheim Cup in uh, in Des Moines, yeah. Iowa, where it was like you know record crowds, and and it's like you know that it's it's a neat thing because like part of me always looks at the tour schedule and thinks, hey, how come I'm I'm a Chicagoan at heart? It's like how do we not have a regular tour event anymore? Like that yeah. that's absolutely crazy, and it's yeah. like, but at the same time, it's like these tour events mean a lot more in smaller markets, and there's a kind of a a hand, uh, you know, there's there's pluses and minuses to both sides. Well, and you want to go places that people want you, right? Um, and appreciate you, right? Um, as opposed to, you know, the, the, where you see gratitude instead of entitlement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, switching gears a little, you know, we've talked a little bit about the, your professional life. On, on your personal side of life, uh, one of the things that I'm kind of most excited about in 2023 is uh, is the work you're doing in South Florida. Uh, for people that don't know, you're you're behind, you're you're leading a group that's behind the really the rehabilitation of West Palm Beach Muni, which uh, I believe will be called the park, the golf park, uh, the park for short. Uh, what made you get behind that? Could you tell us a little bit of the backstory on on uh, renovating that golf course with Gil Hans and and what you know led you to want to do that? Yeah, well, I think the short answer is you know I kind of did it because we could, right? <laughs> um, and if you think about it, um, you know, municipal a lot of the uh, you know municipal golf courses were built in urban areas, obviously not obviously, but you know, largely urban areas. And they were kind of built, a lot of the traditional ones were built um, in the kind of 1910s, 1920s by Teddy Roosevelt as president and, and Woodrow Wilson. And the idea was, 
you know, the industrial revolution, people were working six days a week on Sunday, you kind of had to get them outside and give them a, some recreation. And um, so they built parks and golf courses and baseball fields. And so the, those munis are built where they should be, right? They're built on good land near people. Um, and if they go away, they're sort of gone forever, right? And, and you know, so I get a knock on my door, um, I'm relatively new to the job, and it's a guy named Mike McGedrick, who's uh, one of our professionals, who's a really good teacher, taught a lot of the LPJers from Houston. And he said, what do you know about the West Palm Beach Muni? And I said, I, I didn't know it existed. And I, you know, I'd had a home there for 20 years and did not know. And he said, well, it's, you know, it's been shuttered for four or five years, but it, you know, used to be a great place. And there's an RFP on it right now to, uh, to, you know, restore it. And um, every other bidder is kind of a, uh, a, a developer that's going to build some condos and a golf course. And I think there's a way to, you know, keep, condos off it um, and do a public private partnership. And, and I said, okay, well, let me, let me go sort of check it out. And so I went, took my wife, told her we were going for lunch, which I did. <laughs> I said, Hey, I got to make one quick stop. And you know, we stopped, you know, you couldn't, you found it on the GPS and you pull into a high school parking lot, Forest Hills high. And there's this, you know, do not enter kind of collapsed fence, you know, kind of deal. And I literally like pulled aside the, you know, chain link fence and, and wandered into there with, with Jane and I get a hundred yards into it. And it's like mind blowing. It's like that moment when you, you know, you, you're driving through the Scottish, you know, countryside and, and you see golf courses everywhere, right? Like <laughs> you could build one wherever you look. Right. And and it's 190 acres of uh, sugar sand. Um, you could see it. I mean, the grass was kind of up to our waist um, in places, but also, and you could just see a golf course. There's an incredible amount of movement on it. And you realize it was built in 1947 by, you know, Dick Wilson was a designer. who was kind of the guy at the time. And, um, and they built it there because they could. It's on the same sand belt that, you know, Seminole and Jupiter Hills and that it's that yeah. same that same dunes ridge it's it's uh it's a it's like a mile or so inland and there's yep. that dune ridge that or maybe not even that far but there's a dune ridge it goes straight up to hope sound it really stops Correct. there in hope sound yep exactly right and um you know and and the wind's blowing and you kind of go like i looked at her and i said we got to do something here and she said well that would be pretty cool and i said if this you know so I called the mayor, who I knew a little bit from some other stuff I'd done um, in another life, and and I said, "Can I come see you?" And I and I did. His name's Keith James, really great guy um, who I've gotten to know very well, but didn't know him that well at the time. And I said, "What are you thinking about on the golf course?" And he said, "Well, I just wanted to kind of—I don't want to ever have to, you know, uh, we've been losing between five hundred bucks, five hundred grand, and a million bucks every year. I just—I can't afford that." And I just kind of want it to go away. I don't want to have to worry about it, but I'd like it to be golf. And I said, well, you know, and if you think about munis, like, you know, they've been under, under invested in mismanaged, you know, they have a, let's call it a million dollar, you know, maintenance budget when you probably need two. And they're saying, well, we can't spend more money on the maintenance because, you know, that's books for kids. Right. And, and that's a reasonable way for them to think. Right. Um, and, and so I kind of said, look, I, I think we can raise the money privately and and have it go away and by the way if it's successful over time i think we can dividend back to you 
you know, significant money to the city through operating this thing. Cause I think we can do it, you know, we're not for profit, you know, profitably in the sense of, you know, creating some, some value. And uh, I said, we'll set up a foundation. You give us a dollar a year lease. And he said, well, you know, how long do you need to figure this out? And I go, well, can you give me 60 days before you, you know, take it to bid? And he said, I can do that. I'm not going to say a word to anybody. We're just going to kind of, you know, you go do your exploration. So I called Gil, who's a friend, and had him come down. And we walked the property. And he said, um, he said, Seth, this is a nine or a 10. I mean, it's a mile from PBI, the airport. It's right, you know, West Palm Beach is growing like a weed. It's like, you know, he said, can I do whatever I want? I go, yeah, this thing has, you know, been closed for five years. There's no... Um, there's no, you know, the, just do, you know, make, do guilt, right? Like make it what you want. And, uh, and he said, I'm in and I'll do it pro bono. And then we went and saw another good friend of ours, named Dirk Ziff, who um, is a great guy, you know, very successful investor, philanthropist, who also loves art golf architect. And he's, he's, he's good at it and um, had worked, you know, on some stuff with Gil and, and and another project and um, sort of for fun and, and, you know, took him there. He fell in love with it. And he said, look, uh, I'm your first, you know, donor. And so I knew I was kind of onto something and went back to the mayor and said, you know, I think we can do this thing. And, and uh, he said, well, I need some help with the commission. So I went and saw all the commissioners individually. Then I went to a commission meeting and I did town halls and the newspapers kind of got a hold of it. And all of a sudden, you know, we were sort of, you know, Santa Claus, right. That we were going to come rescue this thing, which had been a blight on the town for a number of years, right. It had been closed for five years or vagrants and all kinds of probably bad things in the neighborhood, um, which, you know, has a lot of pride, like, you know, didn't like having this sort of scar in their backyard. So, you know, sort of we're ready to go and then COVID hits, right. <laughs> and kind of go, okay, well, there's another gut check. And, um, and we, he said, you know, the mayor said, you need more time. And I said, I think I need more time. And, and I said, but I think we can still do it. And he goes, okay, great. And so we rolled it another sort of six months. And then when the season hit in 2020, um, 21, excuse me, uh, we uh, went into the market. I put together, we put together a group of people, you know, local developer, a, um, you know, a couple guys that were known, well known that sort of do the, Heavy lifting on the on the uh, on the fundraising guy named Dan Stanton and a local guy named Tom Frankel, who was a developer to help us with a vertical. It's been unbelievable. Kind of made it a full time job, and we went into the market to try and raise this, the money. And in sixty days, we raised over fifty million dollars um, to restore a Muni. Right now, it was Palm Beach, which is obviously you know a lot of wealth. Um, it was COVID, so people had some time on their hands. Um, but it was more, you know, it wasn't about the golf course. It was about the lives that we're going to change. Right. And that, that's what the story is. Right. We're going to we're going to run every kid program through there. We've, we've got 18 holes that are, you know, magnificent. We've got a uh, lighted par three that will be open till 10 or 11 o'clock at night. A, a great driving range. Um, clubhouse is understated, but it's going to end up being the hub for that part of the town. And we've got the, South, the, the PGA of South Florida has put their headquarters there. So they're going to have eyes and ears on it. They're going to run all the kids programs uh, through there. Um, and we want to, you know, the reason we call it the park is, um, you know, it's back to my sort of COVID thing. It's like, 
you know, that's what golf is, right? It's a, it's a walk in the park, number one. Number two, this is a public facility. Like, it's 190 acres that the citizens of West Palm Beach own. And we want it to be, you know, as 24-7 as it can possibly be. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of golf there for sure. But we're also going to do art classes, you know, uh, in the club, in, in, the, in the main house or in, in South Florida PGA. We're going to do STEM classes. We're going to, you know, have a caddy program. We'll get Evan Scholars, you know, are already involved uh, looking at it. Um, and, you know, so we're going to, you know, change lives. And I think you know, um, provide, I know, provide a service for the locals. And I think over time, because um, we don't pay any rent, uh, that I think we're going to actually, you know, create a lot of cash flow that we're going to be able to, you know, dividend back to the city. So it's this like really cool, you know, full circle story about, you know, how it all works. And like what, you know, the the last thing I'd say, because I probably talked about it too much, but is, you know, everybody always asks, like, what's your favorite course? What's the best course? That kind of thing. And, and I have a different scale, which is like, what's your happiest course? Like, what, you know, where, what puts you in the best mood? What's the most fun? Um, and if I said 10 courses to you and, and I said happy or unhappy, I think we'd get them probably right, right? They're not, doesn't mean they're not great. They're just like, whatever. So we're trying to build the happiest place in golf and have it be fun. And, and the, the course that Gil and Dirk have, built is 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 just that everybody comes off smiling um there's not a drop of water on the whole place which i think might be the only place in florida without it uh and you know you find your ball uh, i took rory and tiger out there and they loved it and and they said you know tiger's comment was it's a one ball golf course like you you know it's almost impossible to lose one and uh so you find it and you hit it and and the green complexes are are really varied and cool. And it's just, you know, there's a huge amount of slope and you can play shots, you can putt from everywhere, or you can chip, you know, from everywhere. It's really, it's, we're proud of it. It's, it's kind of, uh, and, and again, so I kind of, as you pointed out, and I said, sort of did it as, you know, private citizen, because I didn't want to put PGA money into something that was, you know, you know, wasn't, uh, necessarily in its best interest, but I think what I wanted to do is is have a great success in restoring a muni to inspire other places to do the same thing and roll out a template. And, and you know, we at PJ of America are looking at ways to help in that either through you know some grants, but more importantly, probably a loan program to get things going. Um, you know, become kind of a, a you know a golf bank, if you will. So we wanted a shiny example on the hill to uh, to show that, like this is successful, and whether that's Chicago or Washington, and you know those famous you know kind of projects that are going on there, or a nine holer in Iowa, right? Like you know if you get local people that care and a willing government, um, you can do great things. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. This is a new sponsor and a product that I have really enjoyed the past few months. I'm in my mid-30s now. I'm, uh, I'm not a young buck anymore, I, I would say. And I started to look around uh, at ways that I could take a little bit better care of myself. Uh, I was looking around at, at a couple different you know, types of vitamins, different things, and that's how I found AG1. 
Uh, it's a comprehensive health product, and one of the things that I really like about it is it's formed a habit with me. I take this every single morning. It's super simple. I mix the AG1 with you know some powder. It's just a powder with some water, and then I drink it. To be honest, it's pretty good tasting. A, uh, that's one of the things you always worry about with these things. It, it tastes really good. You know, one of the, one of the fun things this uh, this winter, I've been ar- around a lot, and uh, my house. I haven't been traveling much, and my daughter has been waking up way too early. She's two, and uh, a fun thing that we now do together. She enjoys it. I don't know how a two year old finds it so fun, but she really likes shaking the water and the powder before I drink it. So she always is asking me when I'm gonna, you know, do that. In terms of the actual benefits of this thing. I think one of the things that I like about it is it gets me going uh, in the morning when I drink it. Uh, I feel more energetic. Over the holidays, I didn't take it. And uh, I definitely felt like a a little bit more lethargic in the morning. And and this is just a personal anecdote. Uh, The mixture has 75 high-quality ingredients. And really what it does is it helps cover nutritional bases for the day. So that's what I like about it is I look at it and I'm like, oh, I'm getting this by just drinking this in the morning. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com slash the fried egg. That's athleticgreens.com slash the fried egg to check it out. Um, and thanks, Athletic Greens. And now back to Seth Waugh. For somebody that's looking to rehab their local muni, what are their options in terms of business models? And, you know, what do you, you know, you did, you went private public partnership, which I think is a very popular model right now. If you look at where there's been a lot of success, what are the other options or is this really the best option for people? Is that the way they should focus their effort? I I think it depends on, you know, um, it depends on uh, not where you are, but who you're dealing with, right? Um, There may be certain cities that that are good at running golf course. I don't mean to say everybody is, isn't. Um, And you know, have a real interest in doing that and think that they can make it profitable. Um, and, um, and I think, I, you know, that's fine if, if that works. Um, I think there's more comfort in donors, amongst donors, doing the public-private partnership than, you know, than do- you know, donating money to a municipality where, the, you know, there's going to be turnover and different politics and, and whatever. Um, as opposed to something that's more perpetual in the sense of a foundation of, you know, like-minded people with a board of directors that, you know, is going to um, pass it on to a new board. You know, so we've already brought young folks into ours because generationally we're going to have to hand this off at some point. And so uh, I think, you know, I think that's a, you know, if you're trying to raise um, a bunch of money, you know, from a, you know, philanthropically, I think that's a model that, you know, is going to, is going to resonate better with donors than, than, than the other. Um, yeah, there's another model, which is, you know, done in California where, um, you know, Top Golf came in and, and uh, I'm going to screw up the name of the town, but um, 
uh, you know, uh, I think near San Diego that um, was a sort of 18 hole. They've turned it into a 12 holer with a top golf concept. Um, and, you know, had to fight a lot on it because of the lights and size of top golf. But uh, I think it's been an enormous success for top golf and for the city. And now they're dividending back money to the city um, uh, in, a, in a great way. So I think there's, I think there's lots of ways to do it. Right. Um, and you just got to be creative and, and think, you know, financially, um, you know, but also uh, kind of, you know, culturally in terms of where you're dealing. Yeah. I think, I mean, what you hit on with, with West Palm beach is I, you know, Land that existing golf courses are on, especially public golf courses are on, just doesn't exist anymore. And when I think about where really the trends of golf architecture are going to be, this is this is a big part of the next 30 years of golf architecture and development is like what happens with a lot of public golf courses that are up for renovation or are, you know, with, with towns, a lot of towns look at it at the way West Palm beach did. And just no, you know, this is just a common way to look at it is like, this loses us money and, you know, we got to stop, but you know, we can't, it's kind of like almost a nuisance. Uh, yep. and as opposed to, you know, they look at a park that costs them money to maintain, but doesn't bring any revenue in completely different than a golf course that brings revenue in, but cost money to you know, but also cost money to maintain. It's it's an interesting thing with with yeah, uh, and if, government. Yeah, hundred percent. And if you think about it, like you know, if you're trying to keep a golf course open, you have to win that vote every year. Mm-hmm. If you're going to close, you only have to lose once, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, some administration goes like, "We're just tired of this," right? And and look, I, you know, the model for us, and I'm not sure it's the same way everywhere, but you know, we have a dollar year lease. We have water that we draw from a canal, which is, you know, uh, which is in the lease because that's always been the way it was. And so that's free. We have no taxes because we're municipal land and we have no debt and probably unlimited demand. So that's a pretty good business model for golf, right? Like, or anything. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, um, and so that's why I think we're going to, you know, be able to dividend back to the city and, and everybody, everybody wins. And you know, I mean, we raised $55 million, right? So, um, and we have a, we'll probably start with a, roughly a $20 million endowment to get through any, you know, tough periods we might have. And that's an incredible luxury. Like, I don't mean that's going to happen everywhere, but um, but that's the power of the game. Like people, the one of the things that I've underestimated when I took this role is, um, really how powerful the brand is um, and, and how powerful an engine for good golf is, right? And, um, and I mean that charitably, but I mean that, you know, lessons learned and values shared and, and time spent and relationships built and all those things that, that go in the game and it resonates with people. And, um, and you know, the, the, the power and then, you know, the, the ability to leverage the PGA brand for good, in my view, is kind of endless because of the power of the game and because of the, you know, the halo that we have around what we're trying to do. And and so, like I did this as you know, Seth Wall, private citizen, but you know, no question that my you know my job, my title, you know, gave some credibility to the whole thing, right? Um, and and that's fine and good. And and, and you know, I answered it in the beginning is like we did it because we could. Right. Um, can you imagine if it wasn't a golf course, if it was a bunch of condos, like 
Florida doesn't need any more condos. <laughs> like I live there, you know, like it doesn't. Um, but boy, you know, it's golf heaven uh, in Palm Beach County, but not publicly. Like there just there, there isn't a lot, and and so you know we're going to give a really good deal to the to the townspeople uh, on pricing. We're going to give a really good deal to the you know in-state people, and and you know if, if you're a hedge fund guy from New York, you're going to pay for it, right? Like. <laughs> Because it's that good, um, and the, and that's a you know that's that's the way it should be, right? Completely agree. It's uh you know I think that's the best model for you know municipal golf is if you're going to renovate, if you're going to put money in, you have to make it you know especially if you're a city that attracts a lot of people, you can make up a lot of a lot of revenue by charging a big out of town green fee, you know, and sure. and it makes sense. Like if I'm flying in to town for a wedding or whatever, and I'm looking to play golf. If there's a good public golf course, I'm fine play, paying 200, uh-huh. 300 bucks to play because I'm on vacation. Right. Uh-huh. Versus, but if for the locals keeping it affordable, I, I mean, I, I think Tory, I think this is the best part about Tory Pines is their model. Their model makes yep. a ton of sense. It's 50, 60 bucks to play one of those two courses as a, as a, as a resident. But then, you know, if you're coming in from out of town, you're going to pay. Yeah. Or, you know, Lynx Trust in St. Andrews, right? Yeah. You're mm-hmm. a town person, you, you pay whatever a year and you, you get to play everywhere. Um, but if you're playing the old course in the lottery, you're, you're going to pay, right? <laughs> like that's your taxes, right? For that day. And I, I think, I think that's fair and right. And, um, and, you know, and by the way, back to the public private model, I think the other um, thing that is hard for munis is like, we're going to compete on excellence, Right. Like we're going to we're going to be a place that like a bucket list place. You, you're going to you know, you go to Palm Beach for a wedding, as you say, and you're staying at the Breakers. Like, you know, it's an afterthought of what you just want to play the park. Right. Like, you, you know, you want to go home and say, yeah, I played the park. It was great. And and, you know, that's that's good. But that means our conditions are going to be great. Um, you know, we're going to deliver a world class facility kind of every day. And. And, you know, we'll, we'll have, I think, you know, um, it'll be, you know, a place at night too. I mean, I, I just, you know, we're going to have great tacos and pizza and probably a steak and like people are going to get married there. And like, that's great because it's a park, right? Like <laughs> it's their land. Like we want, we want it to be, you know, town square, right? Town yeah. center. Yeah. Um, speaking of of another development you've been a part of um, is PGA Frisco, and it's kind of almost the opposite. It's going to be a town center in in a few years, but right now, you know, when you when you sign the deal, I I have to raise my hand. I I, re- I was like, <laughs> where are they building a golf course? Why is it, why are they there? And now, you know, you years after I went down there last fall, and and I'm like, holy shit, this is going to be like the middle of town. In, in yeah. a matter of five years. And this is, this is pretty brilliant in the sense of like, you know, land development. So can you just walk us through this project? And obviously you're, you're nearing the finish line here. It opens this year. Um, but going from idea to this massive golf development. Yeah. So, and not really, it's more than a golf development, really. Well, like one of the miracles, maybe the biggest miracle of Texas, right, is everybody who lives here can't imagine living anywhere else. And they pretty much want everybody on earth to move here, 
right? And there's something really infectious about that. There's an incredible optimism, this welcoming spirit, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so, you know, Dallas is just, you know, they, they build a highway and then, you know, like uh, eventually, you know, <laughs> people come, right? And, and in this case of Frisco, you know, Jerry Jones built a practice football facility. You know, you built a highway, you built a practice football facility, add some water, and now it's the fastest growing country, you know, city in the country, right? And they've, the, the same, you know, secret sauce uh, that existed in West Palm exists in, in full force in Frisco, which is a very thoughtful, you know, uh, administration. Right? Mayor James and in West Palm deserves an enormous amount of credit for, you know, first of all, taking my call, second of all, you know, agreeing to meet with me and then see, like having the trust that I could, we could pull it off. Like, you know, that was not without some political risk for him. Right. And so Frisco, um, you know, so we did an RFP, you know, five, six years ago now. And, you know, the idea in RFPs, and if you're a corporate is, not that we're a corporate association, but a large you know entity is is generally you're you're kind of trying to get paid to stay, right? So you 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 know threaten to leave, and then the, the state and the city stand up and give you some tax breaks, and you know you kind of build your new building. And we had outgrown our facility in in West Palm, and it really you know it's on the beginning of of uh, uh, PJ National, but you know we don't control the golf, so it isn't really a golf thing. It's just a, it's a building, right? And um, and a nice building, but just a building. And and so we went to all the cities you'd imagine. We went to, you know, Charlotte and Houston and and Dallas and Atlanta and Phoenix and, you know, every, everywhere that you'd imagine golf. I think we even went to Chicago, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, they all came back with interesting proposals. Uh, Florida did indeed step up and, and offer, but Frisco jumped off the page for a couple of reasons. One is they were very generous, let's say, in terms of incentives, financial incentives. And secondly, you know, they had 650 acres that um, nobody else had, right? And, you know, and, and a business-friendly, you know, state and all those sort of things. And so you kind of go like, well, we can reimagine, you know, what this is going to, you know, be. It's not just a headquarters. It's like a, you know, destination. So, I came out and I was on the board, but I, was, I didn't have, you know, I wasn't the CEO yet um, or have any inkling that I ever would be, but came out and um, I was here for another event and, and they asked me to kind of check it out. And I toured it with the, 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 you know, the town folks and a couple of developers and you can see it and same sort of thing. I mean, it's an amazing piece of property. It's huge elevation change. Um, and you had to squint your eyes to see this one, but you kind of go like, well, this is, you know, pretty cool. And, um, and so that was, went back and said, like, look, you know, and Frisco really wanted to do it because, as you say, it's, uh, was the opposite side of town. So the other side near the star is, is very developed. The town center is very developed. They have, it's called Sports Town USA, um, in that they, they built their whole, you know, kind of culture around sports. You go to the star and there's, you know, they have this practice, like, turf field that you know people kids are playing on dads are playing with sons and moms are playing with daughters like it's you know it's a very sort of healthy outdoor kind of atmosphere um but they didn't have any golf i mean they had golf but they didn't have that was the one major sport they didn't have so you know hockey has a presence here baseball has a presence here football has a presence here basketball has a presence here 
uh, but golf did not. And, you know, they're, even though as we talked about earlier, the ecosystem is, is kind of, you know, broader than it should be. There aren't many, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, golf entities that are looking to potentially move. And so we were, we were Moby Dick for them, right. Um, as well in terms of you know what they could do. And they knew if we, you know, stuck a stake in the ground that, um, the town would come this way. And so, uh, that was a, a very happy kind of, you know, um, shared interest kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, we had to go find the money, right? Um, because, you know, to build this thing, uh, it's probably a half a billion dollars. You know, our building, you know, we obviously are going to build our own building, but um, but they had to find some, you know, money that was syndicate kind of put together. And it it really, you know, um, wasn't getting, wasn't going to get off the ground and we weren't going to come um, unless we had financial certainty because we couldn't, couldn't commit to come and then have the thing not be built. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Omni Group came in and Bob uh, Rowling, who uh, has become a really good friend, uh, who, um, you know, is obviously in the hospitality business. They, they, they do things for cash flow. They don't, the company has zero debt. Um, and so he came in, fell in love with it. He's a Dallas guy, fell in love with the idea, uh, his son, Blake, uh, as his partner and, um, said, look, we're going to, we're going to build this thing and we're going to put a half a billion dollars into basically the PGA's name. You guys operate it. Um, we'll build a resort. We'll build the, you know, town center, if you will, the entertainment center and, and you guys build your building and uh, North Texas uh, PGA is also, you know, coming on board and coming here. And uh, we all sort of, you know, uh, locked hands, arms and, and, you know, group hugged and, and, uh, you know, jumped for it. And then, you know, again, we're, we started building and COVID hit. Right. And, you know, the, the rallying rallings are in, um, you know, two businesses, right? One is is uh, oil and gas, and the other is hospitality. And if you could imagine, you know, any two worst businesses to be in in uh, in COVID, um, you know, maybe airlines, right, <laughs> or cruise ships or something. Yeah. But um, but you know, and and they gulped, um, you know, hesitated for a little bit, and then began building and did it. Um, you know, have been amazing partners. Um, Golf courses ended up being a lot more expensive than we thought because we had a sand cap because of, you know, the clay that is really the, the you know, the basic dirt here. And, uh, but they did it and they, you know, said become great friends. And, and so as soon as we, you know, committed to that, um, the land up around all around us sold, um, the Hunt family bought most of it. Um, I'm looking out my office window right now at a high school that, you know, didn't exist until we shook hands and it's now open for business. Um, football field, by the way, was the first thing they, they put up. <laughs> <laughs> no huge surprise. And, um, you know, this town has sprung up around us. Um, so again, back to the power of the game, like, you know, we created waterfront property, right? Like the dirt was worth, you know, the town did an amazing thing, right? They, they, you know, gave, uh, you know, so leased, um, you know, 650 acres and the amount of, of value that they created for um, the, you know, the, the town was in, is in the billions. I mean, there's no question. Right. And, um, and so very, you know, forward thinking, um, 
you know, I don't think it works without us. And, you know, I think the cool thing about, you know, what it is, is it's much more than a, certainly much more than our office building, but which, by the way, is super cool. I was talking to somebody the other day, like, I never, you know, we got this like drone footage, which we just kind of did. And now it's gone like viral. It's like the only two buildings on earth people are talking about are like the Apple, you know, <laughs> Apple headquarters and PGA of America, like go figure. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but, you know, so we're here and as an anchor tenant, you know, we're drawing all things golf. Every equipment company will have a presence here. Top Golf's going to have a presence here. Um, and, you know, is this will, you know, the putting green is four acres and that's going to be free to the public. It's going to be, you know, imagine St. Andrews on steroids kind of thing. Right. We got a lighted par three. Um, and, you know, we teach all our professionals here. So in that sense, it's kind of a university. Uh, it's got, you know, I think it can be the kind of commercial epicenter of the game because, you know, we're here, uh, people are going to come to want to play at the resort. It's going to be off the charts. Um, so it's kind of pebble, um, you know, wall street or Silicon Valley, you know, it's going to be a laboratory for the game. So in that sense, Silicon Valley, you know, whatever entertainment side of things you want to, you know, sort of throw in the mix there. So, it's it's really cool and we're excited about it and and the dream is it's it's um one of those very few occasions where the reality is actually better than the dream um and it's sort of more than we deserve um and you know the, to a certain extent we've done the easy part we've like built an incredible facility now we got to activate it right now i got to we got to figure out how to get a return to our shareholders and in our case, our shareholders are our members, right? Like how do we, how do we get, you know, how does this become um, a big deal for the PGA of America and its members, but also for the game. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the opportunity is all out there, but it, it uh, you know, it's a, it's both an incredible opportunity, but also a responsibility to fulfill like all the promise that this place has, because it, it, it's endless. Yeah, I could imagine that'd be a little overwhelming. I want to be respectful of your time. I I gotta. I would be remiss if I didn't ask this. Uh, you know, uh, with it being a Ryder Cup year, a few years ago at, at Kiowa, you spoke about you know live players and Ryder Cup, and at that time, live was you know didn't exist. Um, I guess one of the things I would I wonder now is you know what would be the rationale behind not letting live players play? And I know this is a hard pivot, but I, I'm I'm just it was, if <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah. I just went from, went from like Christmas to like a funeral. Like, what just happened here? Uh, you, I didn't realize you were, were a dark cloud. Um, so you know, I you know, never say never, right? Um, but you have to be uh, a member of the PGA of America to play in the Ryder Cup, and you know that's you know you're generally a member of the of the. PJ of America because you're a member of a t- the tour, right? And um, and so you know if if they aren't members of the tour, um, it's going to be hard to be a member of PJ of America. Not impossible, but yeah. but hard. It, they'd have to get um, in their classes. Yeah, <laughs> and it's also you know going to be hard to qualify for it, right? I mean, you know, we've got six slots, right? And there's an awful lot of good players out there. Um, that are playing, you know, every week on the on the tour, right? And uh, accumulating points. Um, and so, I think it 
you know, the, there's there's a math problem as well as you know a, a uh, um, you know a, a uh, uh, you know a, a trying to think what like you know the, the policy problem, right? Of you know, so um, anyway, it you know again, never say never. We'll see how it all plays out. You know whether there is you know some coming together again or or whether it continues to you know drift further apart yeah what i i mean i know that obviously there are it's a very complicated situation with every organization um i you know we talked about how if you rework off at the beginning it wouldn't look the way what it does you know what do you what do you just in general your thoughts on you know the overall idea of disrupting golf um you know and i know this is kind of goes back to your life and banking with disruption and things like that. But, but then, you know, what, how the ecosystem works currently, and then, you know, playing kind of inside and outside the sandbox. And, and yeah. obviously it, it's a hot topic, but I guess the opportunity and then also the drawbacks of this disruption. Yeah. So look, I'm all about disruption, right? I, I think, you know, I lived in a world that was, as you point out, and you know, you either disrupt or you get run over. It you know, it's sort of it's true in banking. It's true sort of in life, and and um, and that doesn't mean you know you have to be a jerk about it. I just mean like you know, you, you, if you're not sort of going forward and rethinking things, you're 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 by definition going backwards, right? And so when I first got to the the, the you know to the PGA, that was the first thing I talked about. I said like you know. If if you think about like one of the things that I am keen on doing and we've made some progress on is like having the game look more like the rest of the world, right? And it's the right thing to do, but it's also the only, you know, intelligent business thing to do, right? Like half the population of the world is as lost I checked, is female, right? And 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 in the US, like half the next census, half the population is gonna be of color. If you take out like those two, you know, um, groups and you know not growing with them like you don't have much of a growth story right like what's your what's your tam on that right and so um and so we you know one of my first acts was to appoint an innovation chief chief of innovation like not it was a department of one it was really to create a mindset and we have an innovation fund which we started which is is you know investing in early stage um golf ideas like hopefully to make some money, but more importantly, to promote the game and do that in different ways. And so, um, yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm all about it. Um, I think there's, you know, healthy disruption and there's unhealthy disruption. If, if I thought, you know, I'm for the game, like we're for the game. Right. And so if I thought this was good for the game, like we don't, we'd be all for it. Right. Um, I do think, you know, this is an attempt to, to kind of buy the game. Right. And and to a certain degree, it's a it's a battle for the soul of the game a bit, too. Right. Like what do, what do people play for? Do you play for, you know, history and, and trophies and and um, and, you know, uh, you know, the values of the game and you play for money. And, you know, we'll see, you know, kind of how that plays out. But I don't I think it, it, it you know, at its core, um, this is a, a bit of a hostile takeover of the game, right? Or an attempted hostile takeover. And, and I don't, you know, we've thought about it a lot and spent a lot of time 
on it, as you can imagine. And I just don't, I don't, I don't see how um, dividing the game, diluting the game um, for the fans um, and for, you know, everybody is, is a healthy thing. Um, and, um, and I don't see how, I don't think the product is superior, like, which is, you know, something that is pretty fundamental to disruption that you either have a better product or a better price. Um, and I don't see that the business model is in any way at all sustainable, right? So now we're competing against, um, you know, sovereign wealth fund and politics aside, like imagine it was France, right? Like you, you'd, I'd still have the pro- same problem, right? You're competing against um, uh, something that, that, you know, is not from a business model standpoint, um, sustainable and you know and we're all going to end up spending money that we kind of don't have to compete against a model that you know isn't a model and and that's not not healthy i think one of the things that i've you know when i've thought about it a lot that you, you know we, we talked about early is you know all the organizations while you wouldn't create a sports league like this and you know the NBA, the NFL doesn't have to deal with this. Like one of the things that having all the organizations involved with the professional sport of golf does is it keeps everybody like it. It acts almost like a checks and balances system, you know, where like nobody has un, you know, wielding power. And I think the thing that to me that like dissuades me from live maybe you know outside of like the political the the social all of the baggage that comes with that but is the idea that a a government a sovereign wealth fund would all of a sudden be able to dictate like what the game what direction the game of golf is going in when right now it's kind of like everybody works together to figure out the direction and while things may be slow sometimes it might not be an ideal scenario nobody has undue uh power in the game of golf which is an appealing thing yep uh you're 100 percent right i tried to say that earlier you said it better than i did i think there is some sort of beauty to it um which is exactly that um that it isn't you know it isn't some all-encompassing, you know, entity that that is a dictatorship, right? It's it's very much of a democracy um, in terms of you know how how things play out, and you know, again, the lens that we look through uh, obviously is to you know we get selfish too, like we want to benefit our members as best we can and benefit our brand as best we can, but our prism is always like what's in the best interest of the game, um, because at the end of the day. If the game is taken care of, our professionals are going to be taken care, are going to be better off, right? Because every boat is going to rise, and you know, in a uh, in a rising tide, and and so um, you know, again, again, I look at it from the from the very beginning, and every you know, every day to say um, if this was in the best interest, in my view or our view, I should say mine. Uh, the best interest of the game and the ecosystem, then we'd be all for it. Um, but I just don't see how nobody's convinced me that it is. And, and again, I, I just, I think the two fundamental flaws of it, are I just don't think it's a superior product and I don't, um, I don't see how the business model makes any sense. Yeah. 
I think the business model one's the one that is, you know, do they just get bored one day and then what happens if it, if it all, you know, like I, I think everybody, you talk about townships with, with golf courses, eventually they get tired of the $500,000 deficit every year of a golf course. They love the utility of it. They love the recreation, but you know, and if it, you know, it, it seems, I don't know, with recent news of, of people leaving, it seems like it's not great. Um, so yeah. we'll leave but it at it, that. Hard, yeah, no, it's just, it's hard to imagine that they, that they're re- realizing any value, right. Um, from, from what they've done so far. Right? And it's, again, almost, matter, it's almost no brought more attention money. to them. Yeah, no. And what, what, you know, no matter how much money you have, as you say, like you get tired of burning it at some point, right? Um, I think, but you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. I got a big pile. Yeah. So, hey, Seth, thank you so much uh, for the time. And uh, we're, you know, I'm I'm floored about the park as well. I think I'm really excited about Frisco. I I entered it with very minimal expectations, and now I'm <laughs> quite excited about major championship <laughs> golf there. Um, well, I appreciate it. We. Uh, you know, we're trying to be smart, right? We're trying to be human. We're trying to be smart. We're trying to do, you know, we're trying to have a balanced voice. And, and you know, it's, I think that's what our brand, you know, should represent, right? Um, and um, and try to be on the right side of history. And if you can do all those things, you know, you're probably going to have a, a pretty good run. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate what you do for the game and your passion around it and your, your intelligence around it, which is, uh, is great. Um, come down and see the park. It's, it's cool. Yeah. I was, I, I, there's so much going down down in South Florida. I feel like I, uh, I got to get down there this winter. So I, uh, might be, might be flying across the country. So, but thanks for the time and, uh, appreciate it. And, uh, we'll talk soon. All the best. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday podcast. Today's episode was edited by Matt Ruses. Thank you, Matt. As an announcement, we put together our event schedule. We put it up on our social media feeds. I think there's a link on our website for it, but we announced uh, 11 events for 2022. I think they're pretty cool places. A few highlights include Hollywood Golf Club in New Jersey, Prairie Dunes, which we've gone to the last couple of years, is on there again, as well as uh, Essex County Club. You know, one of the ones I say my sleeper pick is Canton Brookside in uh, outside, you know, it's about an hour from Cleveland. That is a phenomenal Donald Ross course. I'm really excited to be going there. But anyways, if you want early access to these events, ensure your spot. A great way to do that is to sign up for Club TFE. Uh, Club TFE members will get a week head start on uh, registration at these events. So if you want more information on that, go to thefriedegg.com slash membership, and you can look into that. But otherwise, peruse the, the schedule. Should be a fun year of events. I think we might add one or two more. We're in the process of getting a few more set up, but we're really looking forward to another year of events. And thank you guys for all the support. Uh, We wouldn't do these events if you guys didn't come to them. So thank you and uh, look forward to having another couple episodes next week. 